You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. So recently, I don't know about you, but I found a couple of like biographies and documentaries on, on TV that have just been amazing. And one of the ones that I've been watching is called The Captain on ESPN. Anybody heard of it, seen it? Am I alone in this? A few, thank you, three of you, I appreciate it. So for those of us really good baseball fans, this uh, documentary out there is called The Captain. It's about a guy named Derek Jeter. Let's just, for my, you know, heart. Has anybody heard of Derek Jeter? Okay, a few more. Go Braves, that's right. Uh, But uh, although last night I needed them to end that game just a little earlier because 6 a.m. is pretty early. But anyway, so... uh, Go Braves, Derek Jeter, this, this documentary, this, this series is about Derek Jeter, who if you don't know him, he is probably one of the greatest shortstops of all time. He was a first-round ballot Hall of Famer, an amazing baseball player, some would say a good guy. Either way, the series is all about his kind of career, and coming out of high school, he was drafted in the first round by the New York Yankees, right? good signing bonus. He was one of those players that people just thought, wow, this guy is going to be amazing. He would go on to break a lot of records, hit a lot of home runs, and do a lot of really great things. One of the moments in this series, though, talks about his first season as a professional baseball player. So he gets drafted round one. I think he's the fifth or sixth overall pick. He gets on the Yankees team. Well, just because, in case you don't know anything about baseball, just because you're drafted first in, uh, you know, in the first round for the New York Yankees, you're not all of a sudden putting on the pinstripes and playing a Yankee Stadium. No. What are you doing first? You're going to the minor leagues. You're going to go to the nobodies area, and you're, you're going to play with the nobodies. He gets put on this team, and in season one, he has over 50 errors. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about baseball, that's a lot. Like, that's three or four seasons possibly worth of errors, and this guy commits them all in one season. Think about being a stud like Derek Jeter. At this point in your career, you probably have never made 50 errors, and this is the first time that you are seeing real difficulty, real struggle, and real pain. Now, thankfully for him, he could hit, and so it wasn't all bad, but defensively, I mean, everyone around him is saying, you're terrible. Can you make this? Is this really going to be the thing for you? Are you going to be worth the money? And as I thought about that, and I thought about this sermon as we go into Jonah chapter 1 and this, this part where Jonah is running from God, I wanted to ask the question this morning, like, how do we deal with failure? How, how would you deal with difficulty? Jeter dealt with it in his way in the show. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it when you lose a job? Right? Any of you ever lost a job? Don't raise your hand for that. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, when you lose a job, what do people have the tendency to do? They lose the job and then they go bad mouth the boss, the organization, everyone. Like, yeah, you know, I- I'm glad they got rid of me. Nobody actually means that, right? They just say it because they're, they're fed up, right? If they're glad that, that you got rid of them, then why didn't you just quit in the first place? You know, you're just squalled up because somebody fired you and now all of a sudden you hate the job, you hate everything. So how do you deal with that type of failure? How do you deal with the type of failure when you get dumped, right? You got a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you've never been dumped before, me either. I I feel you. You're just, you're you're living your best life. But seriously, some of us in the room have been dumped before, and you leave the situation, and you go, they're the worst. You, You bring out all the worst in them. You tell all the little dirty secrets to everybody. How do you deal 
with failure. Sometimes in life, difficulty comes our way at, at really no, uh, no reason of our own. We, we did nothing wrong, and, and, and things come our way that are difficult. Failure happens. Tough things happen. But sometimes in life, difficulty comes our way and finds us because we made bad decisions. I know none of you in this room have made bad decisions, but generally speaking, people, right, make bad decisions. And when we make bad decisions, sometimes bad things happen. How do we deal with those bad things? Well, this morning's text in Jonah, we're, we're going to discuss and dive deep into the heart of God behind a, a key issue, a key question that I think a lot of people in this world ask. The question is this, why does a good God let bad things happen? Why, why does a good God let bad things happen? So last week, we dove into Jonah chapter 1, and we really looked at the first two verses. In case you weren't here, a really quick summary. We, we saw first step who Jonah was and where he was sent. So first thing, Jonah is this, this northern kingdom Israelite, and he's going to be sent to a place that in his mind, and really the mind around the world would be that they're kind of a, a godless city, the city of Nineveh, amongst a godless nation, the, the nation of Assyria. They, they were known for the way they would torture people and mutilate and just make them uh, the kind of, they would make themselves the vile villains around the world. One of, our, one of our members actually sent me a devotional quote that they were reading, and it, it, it kind of, I like the way it framed it, so I'm going to read it here. It says, to get an idea of Jonah's task, being sent to Nineveh, imagine being told by God during the height of the Cold War to stand in Moscow's Red Square and shout judgment on communism. Or, or imagine an assignment to march through the streets of Mecca denouncing Islam. So if you're Jonah and you're called to this city, what do you do? I mean, do you just storm the gates of Assyria and Nineveh like, yeah, I am God's warrior? I think a lot of people would be like Jonah. And what does Jonah do? We got a map for it really quickly. I'll show you. Here's what Jonah does. He is in Joppa when he gets the call from God to go 550 miles to Nineveh. What does that joker do? Hops on a plane and goes to Tarshish. 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Here's the calling from God to go here. I'm not just going to stay put and just like do me, live my life. No, no, no. I'm going to go four times as far away as the calling you've given me in the opposite direction. Jonah chapter 1, the last part of verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of of the Lord. Now, one of the things that we need to kind of unpack as we understand and get to the answer of this question of why does a good God let bad things happen, the first one we need to see is that Jonah runs, the Bible says, from the presence of the Lord. Now, this passage is not teaching that we can ever run from the presence of the Lord, or, or nor does it teach that I, I believe that Jonah believed he was running from the presence of the Lord. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7, says, this is the psalmist David kind of speaking to God. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The prophet Jeremiah says, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? This is him recording the words of the Lord, declares the Lord. Do I not, do I not fill heaven and earth? 
declares the Lord. So Jonah would have known these scriptures. Jonah would have known God. Jonah would have known that he couldn't just run from the presence of the Lord. Matter of fact, a few verses later in Jonah chapter 1, verse 9, he says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah would have had a good theological understanding that he's not running from the presence of the Lord. What is he doing? I think it's more likely that in this moment, what the Bible is showing us is that he's running from God's calling. He's running from the calling that God has on his life to go to a people that are difficult, that inspire fear. Jonah knows God, but is struggling to trust God. Have you been there? Are you there now? This, this is an interesting place that when I'm reading this text because uh, this is a clear calling to Jonah on what to do. Maybe you've been in, this, in a middle ground at some point in your life. And you've gone, God, what am I supposed to do next? Like, what is the, the next thing? Maybe you've been praying about a job. Maybe you've been praying about a relationship. Maybe you've been praying about a move. What, whatever it is, you've been praying. You maybe you've been fasting. You've been seeking the face of God for an answer on something. And you find yourself in this middle ground where I just haven't heard the answer yet. And so you kind of just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing or what you think you're supposed to be doing, but this is not Jonah's situation. Like Jonah's been given a directive, a calling, a command. This was a moment of certainty, one that the Bible makes clear. Jonah knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And I think that brings us to kind of this, this first point in understanding uh, uh, God. And understanding what we're supposed to do is when, when we're faced with, with a difficult task that, that's going to demand our faith, we must decide to trust God and not our feelings. Like, when, when difficulty is ahead of you, you must trust that he's never going to let you down, that he is good, rather than the feelings of your heart, or, or maybe even the emotions wrapped up in whatever situation you're in. Pastor Tim Keller says it like this. He says, when, when this happens, when, when, when a moment of difficulty comes before us, we have to decide, does God know what's best, or do we? And the default mode of the unaided human heart is to always decide that we do. We doubt that God is good, or that He is committed to our happiness. And therefore, if we can't see any good reasons for something God says or does, we assume that there aren't any. And, and I, I would just ask you, in this room this morning, if, if you've prayed to receive Christ, you're, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, if you can trust Him for your eternity, can you trust Him for you today? Like, can you trust Him your security, your, your child, your, your financial situation, the next meal. If you can trust the God of the cosmos, like who created everything, but yet you still believe he knows you and loves you individually. If you can trust in that grand of a God, can you trust him for today? And, and the next step he has before you. Jonah doesn't in that moment. Jonah attempts to run from the will of God, 
And here's where, it's get int- where it gets interesting. Because our sovereign Lord's plans are not squashed quite that easily. Continue on in verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now this is the key passage that's going to lead us to the answer of why does a good God let bad things happen. And the answer is actually the title of my sermon. Pain is the promise to bring repentance. Pain is the promise to bring repentance. And this this simple understanding can be found in several verses throughout the Bible, but one that I think kind of lays it out pretty succinctly is 1 Peter 1, verse 7. It says, so that the tested, the tested, meaning the painful, the, 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 the thing that's gone through something, genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, that faith that's been tested and is found genuine may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pain, struggle, and hardships are tools to mold us into the people God desires for us to be. The blessings of the horizon will never see the break of dawn if you haven't walked through the dark of night. Like, think about why gl- so the, the, the sunrise is so glorious. Why? Because it's been dark. And when you look to the horizon and you see it come up, we can appreciate the glory and the beauty of light because we have been in the dark. We need to understand kind of two concepts that this passage in Jonah point us to. And it's all kind of wrapped up around this idea of the effects of sin. So why does a good God let bad things happen? And the quick answer is sin. But there's, there's two distinct definitions of sin that we need to make sure that we understand as we answer this question. The first one is personal sin, and the second one is general sin. Now we're going to look at the, the latter first, but I, but I believe understanding this concept unlocks the lion of faith and fuels us to walk in the calling of going to our Nineveh rather than fleeing to Tarshish and running to where God doesn't want us to go. If we can begin to understand how God works and how He uses moments of difficulty in our life to bring us to the place where He would refine us by the fire, so to speak, or mold us into the clay that He would have us be, we can begin to walk in that truth. So, we're going to first look at general sin. So why does a good God let bad things happen? Basically, the answer is sin, but there's two definitions of sin, or two kind of subcategories of sin that we need to understand. First is general sin. So God creates the world. What does He say it is? He says it's good. But then Adam and Eve eat of the tree, and sin and death come into the whole world. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God tells them, if you do this, here is what's going to happen. They know the consequences, and yet they still ate of it. And because they ate of it, their sin then comes to all people. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth, meaning I was, I, I was put in, in iniquity, and in sin 
did my mother conceive me? Now, this isn't like, oh, my mother was out of wedlock. No, this is, I was brought forth in iniquity. The sin of the world was in me because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Dave, David reveals to us all that every single one of us are broken and sinful. Paul's letter to, to, to the Romans displays not just the sinfulness and the brokenness of individuals, but how this one moment from Adam and Eve then affects everything, both humans and the world around us. Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What that passage is essentially pointing us to is that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, and by the way, if you think you wouldn't have, you would have. You do it every single day. The things you want to do, the good, wholesome, holy things that you desire to do, you end up what? Not doing a lot of them. And so, if you think that, oh man, if you put me in that situation, I'd have done it differently, you are wrong. You are no better than Adam nor Eve. You would have fallen just as they fell. And when they fell, all of sin, all of death, all of brokenness came through everything in this world, and our life became fractured. Everything around us was broken. God has a plan through it, though. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, it says, For the wrath of God. That's what we all live to hear, right? You woke up this morning and said, I'm going to go to church and hear about the wrath of God. Right? But it, 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 there's something good in it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, that word men is everyone who by their unrighteousness suppress, push down, don't listen to, block out the truth. For what can be known about God is what? It is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So everything around us points to God. But through their unrighteousness, they suppress that truth. This is people, every single one of us. It says, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We did this. So you may still be sitting there, well, how can a loving God then punish, quote-unquote, innocent people? Well, hopefully you paid attention to that last passage, but if you haven't heard anything, nobody's innocent. Like, that's what the Bible screams. There, there's no such thing as innocent. No one has gotten to that place except for Jesus. And, and if you're still struggling of how, to, how, how does this happen, 
You could think of it this way. If you, if you think of the question, how, how can a loving God punish innocent people? Ch- change punish to discipline and think of the innocent maybe as a child. D- does a good parent pour their discipline onto a child? The answer is yes, right? And if you're a parent, your answer is no, your child is terrible, right? Like, I mean, have you ever been around a parent and, like, I don't know, they're at your house or you're somewhere and you tell their child no and they look at you like they're crazy and you look at the parent like, have you ever told this kid no? And they're like, yeah, we don't really believe in that word. And you're like, there's the door, right? What do you mean? Like, let's go, let's go visit at your house then. So that way when your kid breaks things, that's on you, right? A kid needs to be told no. Like, there needs to be discipline, we're not getting into the whole spanking thing right here. I'm just saying, like, there's, there's a wrong way and a right way. And your child needs to be told that's the wrong way sometimes so that they can be pointed to the right way. And this is what God does for us. God allows pain, death, disease, tornadoes, war, and more so that we will then turn to the right way. And that right way is Him. And we need to understand that we chose this. Like, we were warned of the consequences, and yet we still chose it. And we, as the creation, then look back at God, like, how could you let this happen? And he's like, what? You, you, li- you literally choose this every single day with your actions. The story isn't over. Just as sin came through one man, Romans 5.17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, one man's sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So just as we see sin around us because of the brokenness and the fallen nature that we've received from Adam and and Eve, when we come to faith in Christ... We receive grace and glory and freedom in Him through the one man who paid it all on the cross. Pain is the promise to bring repentance to you and to me. So going back to our text, we talked about why does good God let bad things happen? Is this what Jonah is experiencing? When, When he runs from the will of God, Instead of going to Nineveh, going to Tarshish, is he just experiencing kind of general sin? Is this just a normal storm? No, it's not. And here's the part that some of us love and some of us hate. He was experiencing the effects of personal sin. Jonah ran from the call of God as a result. The passage says, God, what? Hurled a great wind upon the sea. And here's an easy way to kind of understand this. There's a bunch of passages. You have Proverbs 22, Hosea 10, Numbers 32, and all of them point us to the reality that what we do matters. Our personal sins have here and now consequences. Another way of of thinking about it is if you go back to Genesis God, God uses this language in his text to talk about how everything he planted then had kind of seeds or, 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 or it germinated things that were according to its kind. 
If you sow seeds of discord, of resentment, of hate, of violence, of gossip, of lies, of language, of viewing things that you shouldn't be viewing, you will reap the fruit of that labor. Like whatever you sow, it will then germinate and grow. And if we plant these seeds of sin and discord, things according to their kind will sprout. Galatians 6 says it like this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So when we endure and we experience difficulty and pain, sometimes it's because you made the bad decision. Like you messed up. So don't look to blame anybody else. It could just be your fault. And I know that's a super popular teaching today, right? To just, yep, it was me. But that's the reality. Like sometimes you make bad decisions. And when you make a bad decision, you know what happens? There ain't always grandmama or mama or daddy to bail you out. You done messed up, right? And so when you mess up, there's going to be accountability. There's going to be things that you have to take a hold of and say, I did that. That was me. And I know that's not a popular teaching. That's not a, a feel-good sermon moment. But here's the reality. God uses those moments to bring us to a place of repentance. Pain is the promise to bring repentance. You need to know that you are not a good person. Because if you think you're a good person, why do you need Jesus at all? Why? You'll just do the things and you'll go through the motions and you'll give to the church and you'll serve and you'll have this big open heart. But what you're missing is you don't have a perfect heart. And in the eyes of God, if it's not perfect and holy and righteous, it isn't good. So you don't need to compare your actions, your thoughts, your words to the person in the seat left or seat right of you, or the one directly in front or behind you. You need to begin to look at the cross and see that Jesus displayed for us the standard in which God has called us to live. And he says, you can't reach it, but that's okay, because I reached it for you. I reached it for you. So the pain that you experience in this world should be a daily reminder, a momentary reminder at times, of the goodness and the grace of Jesus. When you go through difficulty and it feels like a literal hell, remember that every moment is being used by God to urge you to turn to Him. As the bank comes up, I want to close a little differently this morning. I, I want us to kind of reflect, and I want us to, to think about the goodness of God, but I also want us to think about where we are, where, where, where you are right now. What's the difficulty and the pain in your life? What, what things are you experiencing that you're going, how does a good God let me go through these moments? 
How can a good God give me this relationship, this family, this job? How, how can he take away this thing? And, and maybe you're not there now, but you've probably been there. And, and if we're really honest, you'll get there again. You'll get to a place where you'll look around and you'll say, how can a good God let this happen? Like, I, I've done all the things, God. I've served, I've loved, I've given, I've sacrificed so much. And just like Tim Keller said in those moments, what we're doing is we're kind of putting God in this box and we're saying, he doesn't have my best in mind. I have my best in mind. And in that moment, we've forgotten the whole grand scheme of things. We've put ourselves and our knowledge and our pride above God. The Scripture says His ways are higher. And His ways are deeper. How can we ever truly understand the love of God? And I think the, the answer to that question, at least the first step in that answer, is to humble yourself before the cross. And so this morning, we're, we're going to sing a song. and You can respond in whatever way you, you deem fit. My encouragement would be to you to first and foremost, come face to face with some of the things in your life. Maybe there's some, some strongholds and some, some places that you've sowed some seeds in your life because you're unhappy about how something went down. You're struggling to believe in the goodness of God in a moment-by-moment -moment basis because when you look at your family situation, when you look at your work situation, when you look at whatever situation it is in your life, you go, this stinks. And I didn't do it. How can God let this happen to me? And I would just encourage you by saying, because He wants you to be better. He's drawing you near to Him using that pain to bring the promise of repentance in your life so that you will be refined by fire and that your iron will be sharpened by another iron and you will be a glorious display of the gospel to those people around you. And when they walk to you, you're like, I know you're going through all kinds of stuff and this moment is happening and that moment is happening. How can you be so peaceful? I don't think we necessarily need to be like the most optimistic and positive person. I think I mentioned this previously. Like I think sometimes we think that the Christ follower is the person who's like, well, everything's going to be okay. I don't know that God's necessarily pushing you to that, to that place. I think what God is pushing you to is that everything is going to be okay in a, in a kind of a peaceful way. Of like this earth, my, my life on this earth, this world, it, it may not be the most enjoyable experience ever. But God's never going to let me go. He's never going to let me down. He is good. And He's faithful through all things. And so as the storms wage of life and they come in and all of the, the things are crashing and my proverbial boat is being torn apart like Jonah's was, I can have the confidence and the faith that God is going to see me through. Because I have put my, my hope, my trust, my faith in Him, and I am a son or daughter of the living King. So, 
an altar out of your seat. You can come up here and pray. On the back of each of those seats in front of you, we have a new QR code. Maybe you're here for the first time and you want to just scan that because you're a guest and that's cool. There's some other things on there as well. Maybe you want to scan that QR code to take a next step in salvation. Maybe you want to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you want to be followed up in baptism. Maybe you want to think about getting a seat at the table and joining Piedmont Church and being a member here. Whatever it is, I just want to encourage you this morning that each and every one of us have a step. We have a place where God is calling us to look at Him in faith and see the horizon of glory, the, the, the sun rising, because maybe we've walked through a dark night. So feast your eyes on the glory and the splendor of who God is. But in order for you to do that, you have got to turn from whatever's behind you. And you've got to face Jesus. So the altar is open. Your seat is open. You want to stand, raise your hands. You want to sit and be quiet. That's between you and the Lord. But I want us to respond by looking the glory and the goodness of God in the face this morning and saying we recognize that the pain of this world is not something that we necessarily desire. But we're going to walk through it with joy because we know that the end result is that you are sanctifying us by the word of yourself and by the blood of your son. We are following you. Let me pray. God, I, I ask that this morning, whatever struggles we find ourselves in, past, present, maybe, maybe we're anticipating future ones. I, I, I just ask that we'll recognize the difficulty, the pain, the sorrow as what it is. It, it's a tool that you're using to, to bring us closer to you. And, and through the proverbial hells of life. God, may, may we be sanctified in your presence and be a city on a hill. Be, be a display for the good news of your kingdom to the Nineveh of our life, wherever you have called us. Allow us the strength and, and the faith to go to that Nineveh rather than fleeing to Tarshish. Help us to see the beauty and the calling and the equipping. Help us to connect with each other so that we can spur each other on to walk in that faith. That we'll see the momentary difficulties as everlasting joys. Saw this, I pray. In the holy and precious name of Jesus and God's people said,